Welcome to Credit Union Conversations Podcast with your host, Mark Ritter, a forward-thinking CEO who excels in helping credit unions, small businesses, and real estate investors succeed. Join Mark as he explores current trends, interviews industry experts, and get fresh insights on optimizing your operations and delivering the best possible services to credit union members. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Credit Union Conversations. I am your host, Mark Ritter. I'm the CEO of MBFS and New Direction Lending. And today we're going to talk a little bit about SBA lending. Uh, we're actually going to talk a lot of bit about SBA lending. And 20 years ago, when I first talked to a credit union uh, for looking for my job and break and next big position in life, that credit union said, we want to do small business loans. We want to do SBA loans. We really want to help the small businesses in our community. And generally what's happened is we've done a lot of real estate loans. And the deeper we've gone, we've done more and more real estate loans. Now, that's not to say helping that small business isn't important. And SBA loans can't be a critical part of it. And I wave that flag uh, quite a bit. And joining me today is two people from our partnership at Windsor Advantage. And first, I'll introduce Chuck Evans. Chuck, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Mark. How are you? Great. And also joining me is Will McLean. Will, how are you? Doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks for having so first of all, uh, we'll start back up with Will. Will, just tell people a little bit about yourself and a Windsor Advantage, and then we'll flip it over to Chuck. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I am the CEO of Windsor Advantage. Uh, Windsor Advantage is an LSP, which basically in this space can be a number of different things. Um, but our, for- our core focus has been working with lenders who may need support from an expansion perspective, who may need support starting up their programs and and helping them drive um, an SBA and USDA program that is compliant, that has you know the expertise behind it without necessarily having to go out and hire those people. Um, so, you know, Windsor Advantage is a, is a national LSP. We have about 130 clients. Um, do just about four to five hundred million dollars of of new volume per year, and, and service a portfolio right now of just over two billion dollars. And Chuck, let's flip it over to you. Tell tell people uh, and the listeners a little bit about your uh, background and role at Windsor sure, Advantage. I'm a recovering banker for many years, and um, ran a certified development company and started in this lender service provider world probably close to 15, 20 years ago, and happy to be a part of Windsor. And my role at Windsor is to help develop the, well, how many, maybe 60-some loan accounts we've signed up in the last two years with PPP, and and a lot of them are going to do one, two million dollars a year, and some are going to do 50. 15 and a couple are going to do 100 million. So my role is to try to help those that are starting out, educate them, make them feel comfortable and introduce SBA lending. Great. Now, I work with about 75 credit unions now all throughout uh, mainly the eastern United States. And if I have heard it one time, I have heard it 100 times where we would like to do SBA loans. Almost all the time, the program sort of flounders, a few breakthrough, a few do some loans a year. But 
I'll turn it over to you. And if I've heard this story a few times, you have heard it many, many more times than <laughs> me. What do you find that really separates people and lenders who can launch a successful SBA program from those that flounder or maybe it becomes sort of a shelf product? If somebody asks for it, they'll do it. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I think that, you know, in our in our experience with lenders, and I think Chuck and I both have kind of an interesting uh viewpoint on it because we aren't lenders necessarily ourselves, but we work with a lot of different versions, types, sizes, you know, all different shapes and sizes. I think one of the biggest things that I always stress is that there's not necessarily one method um, for a successful uh, program uh, in that, you know, you don't have to mirror the live oaks of the world to get a good successful structure. Um, It's really more important from my perspective to have kind of the internal buy-in, right? Leadership, credit, and uh, the people who are, who are there to kind of originate that volume, if they're not all on the same page, if they don't all believe and expect that um, what they're looking for, or what they're trying to do will fall in line with what the institution, the lender is, is, is also trying to do, it, it becomes a problem. Um, and so without that buy-in, it really is tough to kind of move forward. And, and because success is different in everybody's mindset. I think developing that, understanding that, and really driving with what your goal of success is, is probably the, the the best way to be successful. Because as soon as that breaks down, right, as soon as somebody is not incentivized properly to do what you want them to do, as soon as leadership decides there's another path they'd rather follow, you start to see things wane and, and you start to see volume drop or you start to see communication drop to where, you know, you get to that point where it is a kind of a, you know, back pocket product. It's available, but not necessarily important. Um, that's my thought. Chuck, I, I, I'm sure, you know, you, no, you've got other on. thoughts as well. No, when you think about it, when a, when a borrower comes in to the credit union and wants to start a business, one of the things you ask them for is a plan. Well, when you th- if you think about our industry, 75% of the lenders in the U.S. do less than six loans a year. And I, I kind of break it down into three things. If you got a plan, and if, like you said, Will, if success is five loans, that's fine. If it's 15 or 50, that's fine. How are you going to achieve that? And then the bottlenecks are people. You know, we're all getting older in this industry. There's not a lot of young talent. So we're having to pay 20% more for for closers, for underwriters. And so training, you know, nurturing the employees is an issue. And and the last thing, and probably the best marketing that, that a lender could do is the process. If you have an efficient process where you can give quick no's or conditional yeses, and you get the loans closed in an efficient, compliant manner, you're going to be successful. And I think the, uh, three quarters of the lenders don't just do, don't do it. But yeah, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. What, what I come across sometimes is that a lender, and, and Will, you mentioned incentives, They're, they have goals, they have incentives, and many times the SBA program is just thrown into that same bucket. Well, they're out there producing their widgets every day with real estate investors, very mature businesses, different stabilized types of properties. Uh, that that quite frankly don't take as much time as your SBA loan, and they can do their thing and go out golfing or and j- re- skip out early rather than the SBA loan, and that piece just gets skipped over at times. 
and yeah. it, it really becomes a, a, a block for for that lender in terms of putting it through that it really yeah. has to be a priority like you said yeah I, I can't tell you how many times we've seen people with a good clear coherent strategy right good clear coherent credit box and then they ignore the concept that really is true in the, in the space is SBA lending is typically a little bit slower a little bit more you know, yeah. you have to put a little bit more effort in. And, and if you don't you know, complement your strategy with the right incentive pri- uh, process, it's, it's just never going to drive what you're looking for. And it doesn't have to be a super expensive incentive program. It just needs to be something to help people understand um, the value of the program within the institution. And well, we can pick on Chuck here for a, a little bit because he's, he's older than My us. Favorite. So I find too that many people have SBA urban legends out there of war stories that they have passed down or somebody has told them from 20 years ago about a loan that the SBA walked away from, or they had a bad pro program, uh, they had a bad experience many, many years ago. And to me, the SBA is really the most friendly government agency there is out there today. It is not the SBA of 1990. Chuck, exactly. Chuck, I'll throw that at you just because you have a little more gray hair than we, me and Will. So uh, <laughs> on, on what you see as the SBA today versus what it was. Oh, it, it's much different. I mean, we went to a conference recently where one of the products was not very popular, the 504. And 10 years later, uh, many people were doing it. But, it. but again, it goes back to sloppiness. And, and not, you know, if you do six of these a year and you don't stay on top of eligibility and all the steps that you have to take, you're going to get into trouble. And, and so um, with a shortage of staff t- today, they're they're much more forgiving. You know, they, they are great to work with in, in a workout situation, at least in my opinion. Um, but back then, nobody knew what they were doing, including some of the folks at the SBA. Now people are becoming a little bit more sophisticated, I think. Yeah, I mean, look, and, and I've only been in the industry for a, about ten years, but I mean, even in that ten years, there's been a drastic change. And when, when I started, the concept of going, you know, and especially as an LSP, which is you know a little bit of an outsider in some in some circles from an SBA perspective, but the concept of going and visiting with the center, of talking to some of the individuals, and on less of a you know, individual item, but more of a relationship level was never there, right? And and then you know, five six years ago, we started be you know having the ability to make those annual visits to the to the processing center, to the to the liquidation yeah. center, and and it really they're making a really strong effort to make the relationship side of it more powerful, and I think that's a really smart move. Um, so yeah, to, I mean, to your point, uh, Mark, there's that there's just a there is a drastic change in their mentality, and and while there certainly are those horror stories. Some of those are are real horror stories. Some of those are a little bit adapted anyway. Um, I can't tell you how many of the same story I've heard from multiple different people. It really all sounds like it might be the same guy passing it along. So, I think you're I think you're closer to correct. Well, so in the credit union space, what what I do is, is really a niche product in the credit union space, and it's grown dramatically. And your world has grown dramatically. But I often find that uh, sometimes experienced lenders are resistant to outsourcing 
partnering with other people because sometimes they don't want to admit what they're not. They're not an expert in everything. And the other piece with SBA lending is you need volume and you need scale to really make it effective. If you're only going to do eight to 10 loans in a year, you can't build scale in a program over that or keep the knowledge. What, what's some of those resistances that you see and how do, how do you overcome and, and talk to people about outsourcing uh, the help for SBA lending when sometimes they're used to just hoarding everything or keeping it internal? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of times it comes down to a perception that um, people are uh, giving away their importance, right? That you know <laughs> that that they have this SBA experience, they've got this background, and they got this skill set, right? And that skill set might be super specific. It might be, hey, I'm great at developing uh, a great pipeline of loans. I'm good at underwriting. I'm good at um, initial eligibility concepts and. Under that guise, they feel like if they're releasing things to somebody outside of the institution, that they're devaluing themselves. And I think what's really important is kind of more than that is you create more value by being successful. And so if you can understand that maybe you're not the best at developing an efficient process for underwriting or an efficient process for closing, or even on the servicing side, you don't necessarily know those rules well enough. And, and you can say, oh, you know what, let me find a way to fill that gap it really comes down to two options. Either you hire somebody with that experience and that skill set, and you know everybody knows the job market right now is really, really tough, um, or you find a provider that you're confident in. And I think that's the other big thing. And, and, and we've seen a lot of LSP type providers come yeah. and go, and a lot of really small groups you know, make some mistakes or you know, step wrong or, or even bigger groups. But doing that background and making sure you're confident in what the person who you're working with can provide you and you know where they're going to support you provides a lot of value, a lot of kind of stickiness, right? Employees turn over a lot, especially in this job market. And so if you just can understand, hey, I'm not perfect in X or Y category, um, you can certainly find a third party to support you. And, you know, I'm not saying, you know, from that same standpoint, Windsor's not perfect fit for everybody, right? Mark, you're not a perfect fit for everybody either. It's really about making sure that cultural exactly. and that skill set overlaps. It really amazes me how often I am solicited by another LSP. Everybody wants to be my LSP partner. And when I talk to people, many times it's just one person who was a packager or who was a lender, but you need such a robust staff and you need somebody who's who has depth in every aspect of the loan and not simply talking with a borrower to put together a loan package because it is a much, much bigger world than that. And, and due diligence is just absolutely critical in uh, in what we're doing and how we're doing it and keeping up with 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 the borrowers and the companies and having that faith because SBA lending when everything is perfect uh, it, it isn't that difficult when there's problems that's where I want to know who my expert is and what the how what their ability is to work with help me work it through. 
exactly. Well, that's yeah. a good point. Twenty. I mean, when, when we first started in this due diligence, when we did it at the CDC, they didn't ask for financials or any kind of uh, sock audit. Today, we'll contest that it's a it's a it could be a painful process, but it's necessary. And a lot of the the mom and pop packagers just aren't going to be able to stand in this space with the due diligence that's being required. Because frankly, you know, you're kind of giving us the keys to the car and, and exactly. you know, processing, closing and servicing. You have to know who your partner is. And I do think, I mean, I do think the landscape is changing. You look at lending across the board, um, you know, banking as a service, that concept has really blown up. And so people are more and more open to the concept of saying, you know what, I don't always have the expertise in everything I need to do, but they certainly understand that if you're going to get into something, uh, being confident, whether it's the, the industry that you're trying to target or the area you're trying to target, being confident in the knowledge base that you have as an institution is super important. And so I think that banking of a ser- as a service um, you know, mentality and that, and that movement is certainly helping to open people to the concept that you know, no, nobody's got everything. Nobody's got, you know, the perfect way to process a, a, a resi mortgage and the perfect way to process a, you know, hyper convoluted um, working capital cap line. It just, it just yeah. is a different world. So um, it's, we, we've seen some pretty, some, some heavily increasing acceptance to the concept. And I think a lot of that is driven out of, you know, technology and all the other things that people are now outsourcing. The fintech space that they're starting to get into that, and that's opening a lot of doors. I think. What do you think, Will? Yeah, I mean, you know, you you can't be competitive in some of these products without having um, the efficiency that that you know financial technology brings. And so, you know, I, I mean, I kind of hate the term fintech because it often gets yeah. applied to to you know this the, uh, you know the bastardization of, of of what it really is intending which is just to say you know fintech could be anything from one small tool that you add to your process to a, a fully outsourced group that might do you know front to back processing servicing everything else right the encinos of the world um it, it doesn't have to be a big kind of bad word it can really just be a tool here or there that helps you. Maybe it's a checklist tool. Maybe it's a you know a, a API into credit pools that allows you to spread a little bit more quickly. There's just a bunch of different things. So I think I mean there's there's nothing bad about it as long as you are confident in the partner that you're using, that you understand what you're doing, and that you don't rely too heavily on it being you know your bread and butter. So it back in 2020 and 2021, uh, all of us on this call spent a little bit of time on something called the PPP program. And quite frankly, that sucked a lot of the wind out of the traditional SBA market. Uh, none of us uh, can compete with free money from the government. But things are what I call back to normal. Uh, I hate to say the new normal. That drives me nuts. Tell me a little bit about the SBA and their loan programs and where they're at coming back from the pandemic, if there's anything new, different, or if it's just back to 2019 status quo. Yeah, I mean, I, I think certainly there's an increased interest in the program. And I, I, and I think, you know, Congress using the SBA as the vehicle for PPP has 
put it in the minds of every single banker, right? And we all spent way too many hours dealing with that and trying to work through that process. But um, I think that I think there's also a, a kind of greater realization and a greater emphasis on, on certain things like compliance. Um, you know, Okram has really kicked in in terms of their reviews. We've seen a number of reviews come out for lenders that, you know, do volume, but not crazy amounts of volume um, that we wouldn't otherwise expect to get one so quickly. Um, you know, on top of that, there's also a focus internally at the SBA on some of the products they have. Um, I, I think we're going to see higher volume. I think we're going to continue to see higher volume. Um, but I think there's also going to be a focus on making some of these products like cap lines and export working capital a little bit more accessible and um, and available for lenders because, you know, while they, they I don't think they were designed perfectly originally. So it, it sounds like we're getting some some good movement on saying, okay, well, how do we make SBA more than just a 10-year term loan, right? A 25-year term loan. And how do we use the programs that we've built and the initiatives that we started to be a little bit more um, you know, friendly and accessible to businesses? I've been talking a lot to my credit unions and telling them and reminding them as they look back to the Great Recession of the, of the 2000s, after that, coming out of that is when a lot of today's businesses were started. And they received SBA loans. Well, we've come out of the pandemic, and this is where a lot of businesses that will get started that'll drive us through the next decade. So I really, I, I'm glad to see the SBA support going back uh, and, and really coming on strong with with the government support, where we can really put a lot of money out there. So well, I got two more things for you guys, and. I remember getting the PPP application and rules at 6.45 in the morning when the program was going to start up at 8 a.m. And I remember diligently processing loans around my Easter dinner, talking with credit unions and keeping everything moving on Easter of uh, 2020. <laughs> Give me your craziest uh, PPP story or incident or what you'll tell your your uh, uh, kit, what you'll tell people 20 years from now about the PPP program. Chuck, I'll Chuck, let you, start I'll you lead you. this one. Well, yeah. I'll tell you when we, um, you know, my little LSP merged with Will and Windsor just as PPP started. So we had uh, 25 accounts and we ended up having to do those by hand through eTrans simply because we weren't set up to use the technology that Windsor had and the LSP wouldn't, um, wouldn't approve it in time. So, so we had a team of about four or five of us that all learned on, on the go and worked 24 seven. Some people were happy. Some people weren't happy, but uh, we got it done. It was, it was a team building exercise. That's for sure. Um, I, I used to tell my staff at the time, you are as much of a PPP loan expert as everybody in the country. Exactly. Everybody yeah. was looking for all these resources and magic answers. And I said, no, you know as much about this as anybody in the country. So yeah, it was a, it was a crazy time uh, and, 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 and hoping that we never ever see that again. So I'll flip it over to you to wrap it up here. Tell me really uh, kind of a success story, a Windsor advantage, something you're proud of, something you're looking forward, something you've done uh, that, that you really like to brag about. Take it away. Yeah, you know what? Um, I think you know the thing that I've been most impressed with um, with the people we've had and 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 everything going on at Windsor has been 
um, honestly, how everybody's handled our growth. Um, you know, 2019, we were about 28 people in total, um, right at the end of 2019, and and you know, going into PvP and all these other projects, um, put a lot of stress on people, put a lot of uh, a lot of um, you know, people on the edge of burnout. And um, during that process, over the last two years, we've grown to about to be about 68, so almost 70 people right now. And and so, you know, from my perspective. Uh, those are two diff- vastly different companies. Um, you know, you're talking about a group that that might have one person focusing on on a certain task and and making that now two and three, and and having our team step up and and be able to train and and expand and and spread the spread the resources so that we are able to continue to expand to continue to attack the market has been has been pretty phenomenal. Um, and, and you know, a lot of first time managers, a lot of uh, people that that may not have the experience and background on how you deal with a, with a coworker and, and certain scenarios. But um, I think it's been really interesting to see everybody's growth. And it's been really cool um, to watch our company go from, you know, 28 to almost 70 in, you know, a 24 month period yeah. without um, really, I mean, really feeling like there's a location that, that, you know, is, is the worst, right. <laughs> or a, a process that is the worst. Certainly we're continuing to work on things from a scale perspective, but that's been really, what's really impressive to me um, is to have watched that, to have been a part of that and to, to have seen everybody step up internally and, and be able to drive that. I mean, the, the amount of volume we can do today, the, the technology that we're using is separate um, has been, is just night and day relative to 2019. And, and all of that was done while, Trying to t- trying to handle the behemoth that was PPP, so I'm 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 really just proud of our growth and proud of our people and our managers for for how they've handled it and how they've changed processes and teams to scale. Well, and and that scale, but also the people behind it, is the reason why MBFS chose Windsor Advantage as our SBA partner, and we trust you as that partnership to to really build this program and keep it going with the credit unions. And I, I really thank you for, for everything you guys done for us. And we look forward to, to continuing to promote that. So, Will, thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. And once again, I really appreciate the partnership as well. Chuck, thank you as well. And I'm um, looking forward to uh, making a trip down to Maryland and uh, getting out on your boat. So Thanks, sir. <laughs> we'll have you both down. <laughs> so for our listeners today, thank you for joining us. We would love to talk a little bit more in detail with you about SBA lending, get, get you on some of the basics, talk about how your credit union could uh, partner up and, and, and produce some more SBA loans and really help out that community. So thank you for joining us today. Remember to tell everybody about your favorite credit union and to make credit unions a choice for your community. So thank you and look forward to uh, talking to you on our next episode. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Will. Thank you for listening to the Credit Union Conversations podcast. Have a question? Visit markritter.com for more information.